This morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 17, and as we come to Genesis chapter 17, I suspect that, that we all know what it's like at times to live feeling like we have fractured, fractured identities, um, separated from family members through death or divorce, at times feeling maybe alone and isolated even with the people that, that we're supposed to be closest uh, to. And as we come to, to Genesis chapter 17, the characters here, Abraham and Sarah, know this uh, as well. It's been 13 years since the previous chapter when God came and talked to them. It's been 24 years since they left uh, their home to go out to answer God's call. And Sarah especially has struggled with her identity as a woman who's been unable to have a, a child in a culture that values that above all else. And so for us, and for the characters in this passage, we're tempted at times to feel like orphans, alone, uh, unsure of whether we have hope or a place to belong. And so our big question as we come to this passage is this. What does it mean to be in a relationship with God? What does it mean to be in a relationship with God? Please join me as I read uh, Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. 
as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Please pray with me as we come to this portion of God's word. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you have promised not to leave us alone as orphans in a merciless universe, but you've promised to speak to us in words that we can understand. Father, we claim that promise this morning and ask that you would come, that you'd open our ears to hear, you'd open our eyes to see, you'd soften our hearts to believe everything that's written about you. We ask all these things in the name of your Son. Amen. If you were following the news uh, this past spring, you might have been aware of an article that, that threatened to break the internet with, with its news. The British government had commissioned a new research vessel to go and do polar research in the Arctic and Antarctica and to do research related to natural science. And <clears throat> now, while I suspect this isn't true of anyone here, uh, apparently there are, certain, there are some people in the world who are not enthused by natural science. They don't get excited about science. And so the British government thought they would solve this problem by having a poll, an online poll, to find out what would people like to name this ship. And so it generated a lot of interest. There were a lot of names thrown out. Uh, some of them included uh, science, followed by three exclamation points, ice, ice baby, I like big boats and I cannot lie, and Clifford the big red boat. And the name that ended up winning was perhaps worse than all of those. It was Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> and so, of course, the big question in all these articles is, was, is the British government going to honor what they've offered? Are they going to honor this poll that's been taken online? Are they going to name this serious research vessel Bodie McBoatface? <laughs> and fortunately for many and unfortunately for others, they decided that they, they, they could not do that. And so... Instead, they named it after a famous natural scientist named David Attenborough. Many of you may be familiar with his TV specials that he's done throughout the years. And in avoiding Bodie McBoatface, they highlighted a truth that we know as well, that names really matter, that names matter, that they reflect our mission and our purpose. They, they shape and they show our identity. If you're a parent, you may know this. You chose a name for your child that reflected your hopes uh, for them, what they might become, what they might do. Uh, we see this all around us, that, that names are something that reflect, uh, they reflect our purpose and our mission. They shape and show our identity. And we see that in this passage as well with uh, <clears throat> Abram and Sarah. You, you notice in verses 4 through 5 that Abraham receives a new name. Uh, he's formerly just a father, but now he's going to become the father of, of many nations. And so we see here that God is giving him a new identity. 
that previously he's, he's been without children except for Ishmael. His past has been one of wandering without a family, without a home. But his future is going to be something very, very different. That God has an identity. He has a mission and a purpose that he's giving to him. We see this with the name change from Sarai to Sarah as well. If you notice this in verse 15. Now, it's not quite as clear what's going on here with her name change. Uh, with Abraham, it's very clear. We see he's going from father to father of many nations. Sarah, she's having a vow change, but actually her previous name and her future name mean the same thing. They both mean princess. And so the best guess we have here is that her former name reflected her past, that she came from a, a royal family, but that her future name reflects her future, that she's going to be the, <clears throat> the mother of many nations, that princes and kings are going to come from her. And in fact, if you've read Genesis before, you know this is the first time there's any mention of kings coming from Abraham and Sarah. And so we see here that God gives them, uh, he gives them a decisive break from the past. And so as we begin to ask this question, remember we noted that that we're often tempted to feel like, like orphans, alone, without a hope, or a place to belong. And our big question was, what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? And we see here our first answer, that just like for Abraham and Sarah, God gives us a new identity. God gives us a new identity. Now, he doesn't necessarily come and change our name in the way that he does for Abraham and Sarah, although we do call ourselves Christians. But he does, in the same way, give us a purpose and a mission, and he shapes and shows our identity as well. That if we're in Christ, what's true of us, what's most true of us is not our gender, it's not our social class, it's not the choices that we've made or that our parents have made, it's not our wealth, it's not our poverty, but instead what's most true about us is that we belong to Christ, that we've been redeemed by him. And this is important for us to hear because in, in this culture and even in our own lives, we have many voices telling us what's most true about us. We have many voices trying to tell us our purpose and our mission, trying to shape and show our identity. And so we need a louder voice coming and telling us what's true about us. If you've been at Grace Covenant for a while, you know that we end each of our services with a benediction. And we do that because we need to actually hear what's true about us. We live week to week having many things that are told to us by others, by ourselves, that simply aren't true. And so every week we need to hear God's word, his voice over us, telling us of what is true. That ultimately what's most true about us is that we've been redeemed. And so just like for Abraham and Sarah, that also involves a decisive break from the past for us as well. If you're at all like me, when you get up in the morning, there are things that, choices that you've made, and there are choices that other, other people have made that you have to, to bear under the weight of. There's things that affect you. And so I don't want to minimize the suffering that each of us has, has experienced in any way and simply say, oh, the past doesn't matter anymore. But I will say this, the past might still affect us, but if we're in Christ, the past does not define us. The past might still affect us, but the past doesn't define us. Abraham and Sarah are going to still struggle with cynicism. They're going to still struggle to believe God in the next few chapters of Genesis. Their past of wandering in the desert is going to affect them, but it's not going to define them. It's not going to be what's most true about them. And so there are some things 
that I've gone through, that you've gone through, that, that we're not going to experience full and final healing here in this, in this life, but we will one day. That to be in a relationship with God means that he, he's making us all over again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. That there's something definitively new about us. The old has passed away and the new has come. And so that's good news for those of us who live with pasts that affect us uh, but don't define us. Now, if you're, you're a cynic at all at this point, you're probably thinking, man, that sounds really good, but you totally skipped verses 1 and 2. Do you guys notice what, what God says in verse 2? In verse 1, he says, Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Does that sound like a bait and switch? God's going to give you a new identity and give you a decisive break from the past, but you have to be blameless. It doesn't actually sound like a gift, does it? It sounds like something you have to earn. And so to, to address that, we have to understand a couple of things. One, we have to understand what is a covenant? What is a covenant? There are many definitions that have been, been given for a covenant, and the one I like best is, is from a pastor who says this. A covenant is a stunning blend of both law and love. It's more intimate and loving than a mere contract, more binding and accountable than a mere relationship. It's more intimate and loving than a mere contract, more binding and accountable than a mere relationship. That God's calling Abraham into this relationship that's, that's going to involve both intimacy and it's going to involve things that are binding and accountable. And so what's going on here is not that Abraham is earning God's blessing. What's going on here is simply the logic of relationships. As one person has put it, to experience blessing, you have to be in the sphere of blessing. You have to put yourself in the place where you can experience it. And we know this intuitively. You notice that, that God uses the word make in verse 2, that I may make my covenant. Let's say, for example, you decided you were going to marry your spouse, but then you weren't going to move in together. You were going to actually live in separate places. One of you was going to move across the country. You wouldn't be able to make a marriage. You wouldn't be able to make a marriage because you haven't put yourself in the sphere of blessing. It doesn't mean that you've earned the blessings of that marriage, but it means that you have to be in the place where you can experience it. It's going to be true this afternoon as well. You guys are going to have a picnic. Unfortunately, I'm going to miss it because I have to preach this afternoon in Richmond. You didn't earn an invitation to that picnic. Dennis invited you. He didn't say, hey, you're coming to this picnic because I think you're wonderful. Although he may very well think you're wonderful. <laughs> but to experience the blessing of the picnic, to experience the, the, the friendship and the relationships of, of your, your fellow church members here at Grace Covenant, you're going to have to put yourself in this sphere of blessing. You're going to have to show up at the cookout. Uh, and we could go on and on uh, with this. You know, kids, you know this as well. If you want to experience the blessing of relationship with your mom and your dad, you have to spend time with them. You have to put yourself in the, in the sphere of blessing to experience their wisdom and their counsel and their advice. You can't have it both ways. And so uh, we see here that it's going to involve certain activities. And that's true for Abraham and Sarah as well. God has promised all these blessings to them. He's promised a child to them. They're not going to have a child unless they engage in certain activities. They're simply not going to have a child. And so there's a both and here constantly. Not that we earn God's blessing, but that God comes and graciously offers us his covenant. And to receive the blessings, we have to put ourselves in the sphere uh, of blessing. And so there's two commandments uh, to obedience here. Abraham is 
commanded a general obedience here in verses 1 and 2. And he's also commanded a specific obedience that he's going to circumcise uh, his son. I know many of you are probably wondering, what's going on with, with circumcision? Why is this the sign? And there are many theories, many hypotheses, many conjectures. My job before you this morning is not to conjecture, to hypothesize. And so I'll simply tell you a couple things that we know. Uh, one, in verse 13, there's a sense that uh, it's a, a permanent sign of a permanent covenant. God says, so shall my covenant be an everlasting covenant. And then in verse 14, you know, there's this principle in the Old Testament that the punishment fits the crime. And so if you don't circumcise, you're going to be cut off from the people of God. And so the, 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 the reverse is also true, that, that having the circumcision is a sign of membership in the community. But the, but the emphasis here in this chapter is not on the meaning of circumcision, and that's part of, part of the reason we can't say as much about it as we would like. It's not as much on the meaning of circumcision, but on the obedience, the question of whether Abraham will obey. We have a skilled narrator here telling the story, and so he does a couple of things to us. First, Right after verse 14, as soon as he tells Abraham to circumcise his son, we immediately have a scene shift, and we go to Sarah. And so we as the reader are left wondering, what's going to happen? Is Abraham going to obey? Is he going to do what God's commanded him to do? And then it it gets even better. In verse 22, after God finishes speaking to Sarah, it says, God went up from Abraham. Now, scholars will tell us that frequently when God speaks, almost always when God speaks, there's no verse afterwards saying that he left. We simply move on to the next scene. And so it's significant here that we're told that God gets up and and leaves. And this happens so rarely that scholars have struggled what to do with it, and they've come up with a technical term Hebrew scholars have. They've called it a divine mic drop. (laughs) And a helpful term to explain what's going on here in the original Hebrew. God is out. And the question is, is Abraham going to obey? Is he going to do what God's commanded him to do? And we see here that he does. If you remember when we read through verses 22 and 27, you might have wondered why it just told us the same thing over and over again. I think we're told three times that Ishmael was circumcised. You're kind of thinking, yeah, we we get the point. Ishmael was circumcised. Like, we can move on. We can go to the next chapter. But the point of the narrator is this, to emphasize over and over and over again that Abraham obeyed, that he trusted God, that he believed, that he did what he was asked in faith, not seeing the outcome, not seeing the future, but knowing that God would be faithful to him. And so if you remember, we began by noting that we have have a problem, that we're often tempted to feel like orphans, uh, alone and without hope or a place to belong. And we asked a big question, what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? And we've seen one, it means that God gives us a new identity. And here we see our second answer, that God gives us new responsibilities. God gives us new responsibilities. That the new identity he gives us flows out into new responsibilities as well. And so how do we respond to a God who gives us these new responsibilities? Well, there's a general application and a specific application for Abraham, and so there is for us as well. First, generally, just like Abraham, we have to be in the sphere of blessing if we want to experience it. Experiencing God's blessing requires obedience to his commands. That God's commands aren't things that are arbitrary. His law isn't something that he just came up with, but it's, it's the way that he's made the world. It's the way that we're actually going to flourish and experience blessing. That he's given us everything we need to know to live well in this world, if we'll simply trust him, 
like Abraham and obey, even when we don't see the outcome, even when we don't know how it's all going to finish. And there's a specific application as well for Abraham. He has a call to circumcision. Now, we don't have the same call today. The sign of circumcision has been replaced uh, with baptism, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But baptism now represents many things, but one thing it represents is membership in the church. If you remember, I mentioned in in verse 14 here that the punishment fit the crime, that there was this punishment of being cut off from the community, that the worst thing that could happen to you, the worst threat God could offer was to not be among his people. And so the application for us is this. Don't choose the curse. Stay with God's people. Commit to the church. Stick in the place. The church is the place that God has given to be one of his spheres of blessing. You know, if you are someone who's tempted to feel like an orphan without a place to belong, this is the place where orphans find mothers and fathers. Churches where the childless embrace children, it's where we're, we're empowered and equipped to do the mission that God's called us to do. And so choose to be within the sphere of blessing. Choose to commit to Christ and his church. It's not just you and Jesus, but it's you and Jesus and all the other people that he's called to him. They're here this morning. And at churches all around Williamsburg, all around of the world. It's one of the main ways that God's provided for us when we find ourselves alone, tempted to feel you know, like orphans. And so we see that what it means to be in a relationship with God is to have a new identity and new responsibilities. If you tracked with the story of uh, the David Attenborough ship, known by some as Bodie McBoatface, you may have noticed that several articles came out later noting that the, despite all this hubbub about the, the ship's name, it's not actually going to set sail until 2019. And why do we have to wait several years for it to set sail? Well, it's because it's not going to be ready. The ship's being equipped even now to be able to handle the cold waters of the Arctic. That it's going to be able for six months to last out places in in the Arctic and Antarctica. Because it's not easy to navigate that kind of ice. It's not easy to navigate those kinds of temperatures. And so even now, it's being prepared for the mission ahead of it. And so you note that that the same dynamic that goes on with this ship is the same for us, that its identity precedes its mission. Its identity precedes its responsibilities, that God gives us a new identity and that equips us for our obedience to him. And so there's a rhythm here of identity and obedience, that God's blessing comes first to us. He initiates it, and we respond. And if you're skeptical about this at all, the same was true for Jesus as well. If you remember in Jesus' ministry, he was baptized before he was called out into the desert because he had to hear the Father's voice of approval over him. He had to know who he was. He had to know that he was the beloved son before he could go out into the mission that God had called him to. Even Jesus had to know his identity before he could respond in obedience. And so again, we began with this this problem that that we live in this world with, with fractured identities that we're tempted to to feel like orphans without a hope or a place to belong. And we asked a big question. What does it mean to be in a relationship with God? And we see here, again, simply it's two things, that God gives us a new identity and he gives us new responsibilities. But it doesn't come cheap and it doesn't come free. The cost ultimately is not to us, but the cost did come to Christ, that Jesus gave up the blessing. Jesus was willing to leave the sphere of blessing when he left heaven where he was with perfect communion with his father, came down, and he spent 30 years on this earth 
and lived a perfect life and then died, was willing to put himself through death to be separated from the Father so that we could be part of God's family again. So I said earlier I would address why we don't circumcise anymore. And the reason is simply this, that when Jesus was put to death on the cross, he put an end to all the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament. That he eliminated any of the need for that. He did away with circumcision. Hebrews 8 tells us that he established a better covenant. That Abraham and Sarah had a covenant with God, and we have one that's even better uh, through Christ. And so because God's given us a new identity, we can live faithful lives of obedience. Would you pray with me? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you've come and you've spoken to us. You've assured us of our identity in you. You've given us a new hope and a new future. Father, we thank you that our past, while it might still affect us in this life, it does not define us. That you promise for those who are in you, you will one day bring full and final healing. Father, we ask that you'd empower us, as you always do, to go out in obedience to you. We'd obey your mission. Father, we'd follow Christ. We ask all these things in the name of your Son. Amen.